This week, we're revisiting an episode with product PR extraordinaire, Nora Wolf, all about getting your product's PR pitch ready. And we're replaying this one just in time for our upcoming free workshop, How to Pitch Your Products for Holiday Gift Guides. Head to ecommercebadassery.com forward slash Nora to register and the link will be in the show notes. Let's get into the episode. Welcome to the e-commerce badassery podcast, the place for scrappy female entrepreneurs who want to learn actionable steps and strategies to grow the traffic, sales, and profit in your e-commerce business. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo Coster, a 20-year retail veteran who spent three years as the only employee of a seven-figure online store. That shit was crazy. I know exactly how it feels to do all the things, and I'm sharing everything I learned the hard way so you don't have to. I may have started this business by accident, but supporting badass bosses like you lights me the fuck up, and I am so stoked to see you grow. Are you ready, babe? Let's roll. Welcome back to the e-commerce badassery podcast. I'm your host, Jessica Totillo-Coster. In today's episode, I'm joined by Nora Wolf, a PR professional who has been running her boutique public relations shop, Wolf PR, since 2011. With an art and design background, Nora and her team not only create PR campaigns from a design perspective, which we'll talk more about in the episode, but she truly has a passion for product and focuses on working with product-based businesses from a wide range of industries, such as furniture, textiles, and collectible design, to a Fortune 300 chemical company and even a D2C cat food startup. In addition to welcoming a diverse clientele, Nora has always maintained a small business, enjoying the intimacy and agility that comes from having a nimble and dedicated team. In 2020, Nora launched a second business called Wolfcraft that addresses the PR needs of smaller businesses who aren't quite ready to invest in the full done-for-you services that her boutique agency provides. After 15 years in the public relations industry, Nora is particularly excited about working one-on-one with other small businesses to help them tell their stories. And in addition to joining me here on the podcast to share some of the most important things you need to run a successful PR campaign, we're collaborating on some really cool free workshops in the next couple of months. So make sure you listen through to the end and check the show notes for all the details on what's in store. Okay, friend, to the episode. Welcome to the show, Nora. Thank you for having me, Jessica. So happy to be here. Yes, I am super excited, guys, because we're talking all about public relations today. And we have some special news to share and some gifts to give away. So it's going to be a really good episode. Make sure you stay tuned. But I'm super excited to have Nora here because not only does she do PR, but she does PR specifically for product-based businesses. Like this is her jam. So we're really getting it from the wolf's mouth. No, that's (laughs) bad. Bad joke. I liked it a lot. Thanks, Jessica. (laughs) My listeners know that I am a total nerd. So (laughs) let's just start out with the really obvious question. And that is, you know, I introduced you already, but I always love to ask my guests in your words, why we should listen to anything that you have to say today. What a great question. You should have. No, I'm joking. The very short answer is I've been doing this my entire professional 
life. So I have 15 years and counting of doing exactly this kind of work. So that should be enough. But if I were to give a slightly longer answer, I went to school for art and design. So I have a little bit of passion around product, beautiful things, design things, design objects. So I care a little bit more than just like, this is my job and I'm good at it. And I've also done 15 years in design and product. So very specialized, very niche. Hopefully it'll be very informative. Yes, that makes perfect sense. When you have passion about something, you just do it better. I think that's right. Yeah, you just do. I want to just start off with the basics here of why is PR important and who is it really for? When do they need to start thinking about this? Great question. The first thing to do is kind of define PR because there's so many different ways to think about it. Public relations, it could mean social media, it could mean content strategy, it could mean interfacing with publications, it could mean a thousand different things. So what we're really good at and what you and I will probably spend the majority of our time talking about is how to engage the media and how to be ready to engage the media. And so that's storytelling. And I feel like that word feels very like mystical and mysterious. Like, how do I tell a story about my cool toothbrush? It's the toothbrush. So I hope I can start to kind of define what storytelling means through this lens. One of the most important distinctions for PR also, since we're talking about the definition, is that it's not marketing. And marketing is what you pay for people to see about you. So that could be an ad, that could be a newsletter. And PR and especially media relations are what you've earned for yourself based solely on the merit of how good your work is and how compelling your story is. So we call that earned editorial. And it sounds like you're buying it because the word earned is in there, but it really means you earned it on merit. So that's kind of like what encompasses my area of expertise. PR is kind of for everyone. There's a few folks that I wouldn't recommend it for, but generally it's a great way to structure and think about your business. If you're really smart about PR, you're tapping into industry events because that's where the media is going. So you're aligning your new product launches with your industry events. And this is how you like engage with your industry. You're taking the right photos for the media, which is probably also the right photos for your customer. So it's like, if you're thinking about the media as your end user, in addition to your traditional end user, you're starting to structure your business as a business because the media also plugs into your industry and it starts to give you that skeleton on which you can do quite a few other things that are totally not related to media relations, totally not related to PR, but like really provide that skeleton for like a larger strategy. And then the low hanging fruit that I think most people think about when they think about PR is like, I got into a magazine and that was amazing. And now I can put their like logo on my website and people are directed to my brand and they never heard about me before because they read publication X or they listen to podcast Y. So I think that's like the most obvious reason why people want PR. Yeah. And let's talk about that a little bit, actually, because sometimes, and I've heard this from people in my community and they're like, oh, great. I'm going to get featured here, but they don't really know how to utilize that visibility. So is there kind of any little tips and tricks you can give them there? Obviously, we're going to talk about how you actually get those. But once you get them, what do you do with them? Such a good question. Our clients have used them in so many different ways. So we have a client that makes 
face masks. And we got them in the New York Times a bunch of times. And that did amazing things for their sales. But now, guess what? The New York Times is above the fold on their website with the quote from the review saying that it's like their favorite mask. I forget verbatim what it is. But when the New York Times says it's your favorite mask, they sell like hotcakes. But they also have that, it's not social proof, it's media proof. So it's social proof's neighbor. So they put it on their website and they have that reliable logo. So depending on what your industry, if you're in beauty, you'd want like the Allure logo on your website, whatever it is, you want to start validating your work from this outside source. So that's one way they will use those reviews or those press hits in their newsletter. And you don't always have new products to sell. You don't always have a sale going on. You don't always have like something to reach out to for a newsletter. So, hey, we were featured in these three publications last month. Like here's beautiful clips of where we were featured. It gives you a reason to engage your audience where you might not have had a reason before. Another thing is for fundraising or if you want to make an exit, putting those press clips in your deck can be very helpful. You're going to notice I don't talk about sales that much. And that's because PR is not a sales tool. It can drive sales. Like that placement in the Times, I think doubled their mailing list. <laughs> I think it did really well for a client, but we're like, oh, you got in the Times. That is the ultimate feather in your hat. And some press clippings do not move sales at all, but they can leverage that in a zillion other ways. They put it in their pinned highlights in social media. It gives them like things to talk about that other people are validating for their brands. So that's some of the ways that our clients have used them. Yeah. It's a really important part that the measure of success is not necessarily the sales that come after it. It's getting the placement. That is the success. That's the win. That is the win. And you know, I get it. I'm a business owner too. It can be hard when you don't see a direct monetary ROI of these things that you're doing, but that doesn't mean that it's not valuable and that it's not a piece of that bigger puzzle and how all the things work together. So don't discount it just because you don't see that immediate ROI from it. And another thing for you guys listening, if you also wholesale, this is amazing content for you to send to your retailers. When I had my brick and mortar, if one of my brands was featured somewhere, I was ripping that out of the magazine, putting it in a plexi and sticking it on the table next to the product because to the consumer who walks in the store, now they're like, oh, this was featured there. Oh, so-and-so is wearing this. I want this too. And it would help me as the retailer sell more of that product, which means I'm coming back and buying more product from you because I know my customers want it. <laughs> so there's definitely a trickle effect there as well. Yeah, Jessica, to build on that, we had a client who did sell direct to the consumer, but the vast majority of their business was wholesale. And they, in their trade show booth, which they did twice a year, and we would go there and walk editors through. But next to every product that we had gotten a press placement for, they would have the little like clipping laminated in a stand, like an <laughs> easel. And it'd be like, as seen in real simple, as seen in house beautiful, whatever it was. So we would see kind of a gallery of our work amongst all their things. So that way the buyers would go and also see exactly what you were saying. And then they could, again, leverage. I think it helped them make those sales through a different lens. So again, it's not just, oh, we got this hit. For March and we didn't move as many in March. It's like, you can exploit that press clipping for two years before it becomes really old news. Yeah. Such an amazing point. And there is something to be said for relevance. It just makes you cool and relevant. 
I mean, think about it. That's why everyone's on social media trying to go viral or to collect a lot of followers because relevance. And so PR is just another way to build that. So it is super important. Let's say they're like, cool. Okay. I need PR. Like when do they know that they're actually ready? I imagine there's some ducks they need to get in a row first. Yes. This is going to come up a few times in our conversation. Having good visual assets, which generally means photography is one of the most important things for product-based businesses. Unless you're making a medical device that restarts the heart or something where you don't have to care about the aesthetics of it, the story is going to be in how it looks, at least partially. So that needs to be tight and at an industry standard. The other thing that you need to be like considered ready for PR is to look at everything you're doing through the eyes of an editor. Their job is to bring something useful to their reader. Like they get paid through selling advertising and some sort of source to their reader. And so they need a readership that's engaged and their readership is going to go to them for the kind of content they produce. It has to be topical. It has to be newsworthy. It has to be interesting. It can't be stuff that's old and it can't be referring their readership to businesses that are falling apart, that everything on their store is sold out, that like they have one product and everything about it is badly reviewed. You're not going to get the editor to recommend your product to their readership. So you have to have a grown-up business to be ready to do this. Now you can have one product, just as long as your stuff is tight, go and pitch that one product. It's not about how big your business is. It's about, is it a grown-up business? Is it ready for attention? If they're going to send a bunch of readers your way, you have to be able to handle it. Yeah, such a good point. And it's kind of the way that I talk about SEO, right? SEO is this big, scary word, but I try and remind everyone that it's just a partnership with Google. So if you think about Google's intention, their number one goal is to get the searcher to the most relevant result as quickly as possible that's going to solve their problem. In the same vein here, you're partnering with these publications to bring their readers things that those readers are going to love. That's all it is. It's just a partnership. They're representing you or you're representing them, whichever way you want to look at it. So it is important that you have your shit together and that you can fulfill that potential demand as well, because you really don't want to get this press hit and now you're at a product and you can't ship anything or you oversold on your website or something crazy insane happened. So you definitely want to (laughs) make sure you have your systems and processes and all of that good stuff in a row as well. Yeah. If I'm someone who receives letters to the editor, if I'm getting a whole slew of like, you recommended this thing and their website's down, let me tell you, I am never going to work and publicize your work again because you were not ready for this. So you just have to be ready for it. It's not a big bar but it's the bar. You got to get there. (laughs) (laughs) It's important. It's really important. There are some other people in my space and some organizations and things that I could join that would give me more visibility. And I remember having a conversation with the founder and she's like, Oh, have you done this yet? And I was like, honestly, no, because I am not set up to support anyone who will come my way at this time in my business. And I don't want to put myself in a position or put them in a position where I could actually let them down. It doesn't pay in the end. So 
I'm taking it slow. And it's okay if you do that too. But if you have all that ready and you just feel like, man, I really need some more visibility, then this could be a really good avenue for you. And maybe you're a really big business and you're like, you know what? I just want to be super cool and relevant. And let me go get some logos that I can slap on my website. You can do that too. So there's so much opportunity for you. And we're going to talk more about what we have coming up for them. But I did, before we move on, want to touch on one thing in terms of the timing. So we talked about the timing of your business and when you should even start PR. But since we're talking to product-based businesses, what's the number one thing product-based businesses can do when it comes to public relations? And that is getting into gift guides. So Nora... When should they be thinking about gift guides? Because guess what, guys? It's probably earlier than you think it is. Yeah, Jessica, you're right. Our team, just as a very quick background, I have Wolf PR. It's existed for over a decade. We do full service PR for everyone. And then Wolfcraft, which is like more DIY approach. We can talk a little bit more about that later. But my team at Wolf PR, we represent our clients and we push them into gift guides every year. We're really, really good at it. We start the process at the end of June. And so we are having conversations with our clients to make sure that they're ready and to start talking to them about what they have, when they'll have photography, when they may or may not have lookbooks, and kind of starting to get an idea of what we're working with. So we know what titles are appropriate to start the conversation with. We have that conversation with our clients, April, May. We usually plan a seed, like it's April, so get ready, the conversation's coming. And it freaks them out every time, but it ends up being very helpful for everyone. So there's certain ducks you want to get in a row if you want to go full court. And you can still engage after that time, but like the best possible outcome is getting ready around then. Yeah, especially if you're talking print because they are planned so far in advance. I mean, I used to work at a women's trade magazine, accessories magazine, and it's been a while, so I don't exactly remember it, but we're doing our photo shoots and pulling product and everything way, 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 way early. We're just taking their samples. They don't even have the product yet. And so that's how print works because just of the production time is so it's just a long lead time. Yep. Traditionally, print publications work about three to four months in advance for holiday gift guides. They'll work six months in advance because of what you said. It's such a lift. This is another reason why it's a good place to start if you're thinking about how do I want to engage in PR. There's double the amount of products on the page or triple or quadruple during the holiday. Like those issues, the November, December issues have so many more opportunities where like they might dedicate just one page to product. You're going to see that increase. So you have a bigger chance of getting your foot in the door that way. So it's a good time to engage. Yeah. It's an amazing opportunity. Listen to the end of this episode. Cause like I said, we have something special to share with you. That's going to help you with all of this. So don't get overwhelmed. Just take it in, figure out where you are. And if you think this is the avenue you want to try, then stay tuned for what we've got for you. All right. So let's get into some more of the nitty gritty things of actually doing PR. So when someone is thinking about this, let's pretend they're doing it on their own because they're not ready to invest or they just want to keep it in-house. Like what are maybe like the three most important things they need to do in order to do this successfully? I say that there's two lists that you want to develop right away. One is looking at your 
peers and competitors and finding what they're doing. Keep your finger on the pulse of the next five to seven folks. This is where I like the PR and being a good business person overlap almost like the Venn diagram is almost a pure circle. If you are just doing the exact same thing as your peer and there's no differentiation and you can't add to the conversation, I don't know how you're going to be successful in your business. And you're certainly not going to be successful in doing outreach. Like you need a differentiator. And the differentiator can be as simple as price point or like your photography looks different or it's a little bit more sustainable. It's all women run or queer run or whatever it is. There are ways to differentiate very similar on product. But if your messaging is like identical to your peers and you're not doing something interesting and compelling, like, I'm sorry, you're dead in the water. And I think you're likely dead in the water as a business as well. So understanding what your peers do is really, really important. And going all the way back to my art degree, if I didn't understand what came before me as an artist and designer, and I was just making the same work, I wasn't like really doing anything meaningful as an artist. So like, <laughs> same thing applies to design, product, whatever you're making, continue to advance the conversation. Like we need those businesses as a society in the world, but also it's just good business practice. So like take that temperature. So you're relevant. And so you meet that industry standard. Or if you are not doing X activity, it is intentional. You've decided not to do it because it doesn't align with your goals, not just because you didn't know it existed. (laughs) Yeah. So you don't have to do everything, but it should be an intentional decision. That's a really great point. Yeah. So that's the first thing. The second thing is the list of media outlets. So when I'm talking about paying attention to your peers and you see them getting press that you want to be getting, you could be jealous. That's fine. But you also just got a key of publications that you know are going to probably be interested in what you're doing since they're writing about your industry. They're writing about your peers. They're writing about products that's similar to yours. You don't have to like reinvent the wheel and research from zero. You have some sort of guidance as to editors you can work with and story angles that make sense. You can't pitch the exact same story. That story has been told, but you have a little bit of insight into Do they only cover product? Do they do founder stories? Do they want to write about echo green kind of stories, sustainability stories? Do they want to write about like women-run business? You start to understand the silos that these publications produce work in, and then you can start to tail your business towards that. So you want a media list and you want a competitor's list. Those are the first two things. And then the third one, this is where you're going to start hearing my broken record. You need good assets. (laughs) You need good photography. (laughs) Did you hear that guys? Good photography. And here's the thing. Like I know when you're getting started, most of you are probably taking photos on your own and you get better over time, or you start to outsource as your business grows. But here's the other thing to think about is you can also focus on getting really amazing assets for what you're about to pitch. Now, that doesn't mean the rest of your website can be really janky. It still has to look good because they're going to go look at your website and look at everything else. But like, it's okay if your website photos are like a B while what you're pitching to them are an A++. Yep. So you can really focus it in. If you start to think about where the spend is coming from. So it's like, I'm just taking this photo for press. Then that spend might be really outrageous considering your budget. But if you're like, I'm taking this photo for press and it's going to go live on my website and it's going to go in my newsletter 
and I can use it for ads. Then you've just started to spread that spend across four of the places where you're budgeting. So it starts to make sense and even out, hopefully, if you're like being really thoughtful about what kinds of pictures you're taking. There are some pictures that the media will not work with, which we can go into a little bit more if there's time, but there's some pictures that just don't work for that. There's some pictures that just don't work for social media. There's some pictures that really excel in the silo they're in. But if you're really clever, you can take a picture that works across different silos. And that's, I think, a really smart way to start doing that work. Yeah. Tell us what pictures don't work for PR, Nora. (laughs) Great question, Jessica. The best way to answer that question, because there's so many different silos that the people who listen to this podcast are going to be in. The best way to answer that question is to look at those publications, refer back to that list and see, okay, I have not seen one artsy fartsy photo where the left side is hit with a red light and the right side is hit with a blue light. And my products like in this beautiful, like siloed shadow of cool colors, like that might be really good for social media. That might be like above the folds on your newsletter. The media publications maybe aren't publishing those kind of photos. It might just be too far of a deviation from what they like to publish. If you think of these magazines and blogs as like big photo books, which basically they are, they're picture books with some writing underneath with some captions, like you have to submit photos that work for their point of view. It's not your point of view. It's their point of view. They're giving you the audience. You're giving them the assets. Yes, it is. Remember, it's the partnership with them. So it's not about you. It's about the audience. Yep. I've had so many clients like, why am I answering all these questions for them? And I was like, because they're giving you huge exposure for $0. Like, <laughs> give them the thing. So <laughs> whatever they want, just give it to them because you're getting a huge audience. And I think that I would absolutely advise against is getting like sassy when you're working with the media. They hold a lot of power. They can like, I can't say they'll make or break you, but like you definitely want to just like meet them where they are. One of the things that we frame in Wolfcraft, all our work around is design thinking methodology. And there is a few phases in it. One of the most important ones is empathy. So if we think about what the media industry has gone through in the last decade, like their photo budgets have been slashed. So they need you to give them photos. Their inboxes get 100 to 200 emails a day. So they need the pitches to be like very concise. If you start thinking about their needs and like meeting them, then you're already two steps ahead of everyone else who's like, I want them to do my thing because it would help me. They don't care about helping you. They care about making a good book for their readers. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Such a good way to position that. And the less nice way to say it is you need them more than they need you because there are hundreds, thousands, whatever of other products that they could feature instead of you. So if you can be the person that makes it really easy for them, I'm going to give you an example and I'm going to tease a little bit about what Nora and I are going to share with you. So here's how I met Nora. She emailed me because she has this workshop that she puts on and she likes to partner with people in the space. And essentially this is us partnering up so she can get in front of my audience, which I tell you guys all the time, collaborate, collaborate, collaborate. But here's the thing. I don't have to do anything. She's going to set up the tech. She's going to send me the images. She puts it on. She gives me stuff to promote it. Yeah, we're going to do this podcast episode and some other things that I'm going to do so that you guys know it's happening. But like, I barely have to lift a finger. And she laid that all out for me in that initial email that it was a no brainer. I didn't have to ask her follow up questions. We got on a call just to see like, 
how we could make it even better and what more we could do. And one of those things was having her come on the podcast, but she did it all for me, made it really simple. It was such an easy yes. And I get so many pitches guys and just the time, energy, and effort it takes to read through a crappy pitch. And I'm like, there's too much follow-up here. I don't have time for this. It's not the right fit. Someone else will come along who's going to do better. And she did. So there's that. But just to kind of get off of that soapbox, sorry, but it's important. It's so important. (laughs) Thanks, Jessica. I appreciate that. And I think, again, this is where that overlap of being good at PR is being good at business. If you're a wholesaler and you have your line sheets ready and you have a portal that's really easy to navigate, you're going to get your clients through the door and repeating with you because everything's been thought out for you. And they are dealing with so many different accounts. If you're the easy account, they're going to work with you again. Everything comes together when you're like really empathizing with those end users. So for us, yeah, making everything really easy, giving images that have file names that make sense regarding the image and who it belongs to, like really detailed things that you wouldn't necessarily think to spend the time on, but will make the difference between your product getting on those pages and your product getting lost. Yeah, such a good point. And I mean, we could go down such a rabbit hole here, which we won't do because I do want to talk about storytelling a little bit before we wrap things up. But And this is for anything, like Nora said, the way that this overlaps for being a good business person, just put yourself in their shoes, whether it's your customer, whether it's another business you want to collaborate with or a publication that you're pitching yourself to. If somebody was sending this to you, what would you want it to look like? What would make it really easy for you and take those few extra steps to make that happen? Absolutely right, Jessica. Okay. Let's talk about storytelling because like you said, and I don't know that we necessarily had this slotted for our conversation because you know I plan all these things in advance, but I'm probably guilty of saying you storytelling in your marketing, but not really articulating what that means. <laughs> so <laughs> let's talk about that. How can they do it? And you talked about earlier when you're thinking about what you're going to pitch and how timely and relevant and not a story that was just told by a competitor and founder stories and these kind of stories. So can you maybe just give us, I don't know, is there like a top three or five or how do we approach it? Something, anything, what do you got? Totally. It is a little bit of an indefinable word. And I think it doesn't serve us that well until you are working with a professional who writes or does storytelling for a living. And then there's no other word you would use, but I get that it's mystical and I didn't really understand how to use it for a long time either. So I'm happy to try and demystify it and create a little bit of definition around it. Okay. So right now I'm working one-on-one with this incredible ceramicist and we talked about her inspiration and I asked her to write basically a Q&A where she Q&A'd herself about her inspiration. And we both agree that like fluffy writing doesn't work. I know you have a no fluff policy. I have a very, very hard line of fluff policy. I think that's why I caught into everything you're doing. And she's on board with this. You know, I read it and it was like super like ethereal about emotions and feelings around inspiration and making work. I don't want to dismiss that. That's very important to a creator, but it's not really going to help her move her product. And it's not really going to give anyone something interesting to sink their teeth into if they're writing about her work. It's a pretty boring story to be like, 
this was a very satisfying thing and it meant a lot to her to make it like, okay, great. So we went through and we're like, well, inspiration, let's lean into that. So we started coming up with static things that actually made sense to tell a story about. So for her, it might be like the desert and Georgia O'Keeffe because her work is relating to that inspiration, not necessarily aesthetically, but like being an older woman who's making really badass work and talking about earning your place as an artist later on in life. That could be an inspiration. Are there aesthetics? Her work is very handmade. So having like her thumbprint in each piece is going to happen because everything's handmade. So starting to talk about materiality, inspiration points, like getting to concrete things that we can objectively point to and say, this is something we can talk about as opposed to like, my lamp works in any room. That's not a story. That's just, you hope people buy your lamp and put it in a room. I could write that about any lamp. So (laughs) this toothbrush, I didn't see a toothbrush that was well-designed. Everything was crappy and disposable. So I made this one where the only thing you have to throw out is this tiny piece. It's made out of this material, which people haven't made toothbrushes out of before. Whatever it is, starting to hone in, there's overlap with marketing, but making sure that you're speaking very objectively to the media is really important. Not selling the media. They're not your client. They're not your buyer. They're not your customer. They're amplifying your work. So making sure you're giving them something that they can then give their readership is really important. So it doesn't have to be like five pages. It could be a sentence. But it has to be a sentence that helps us understand the work more than you want us to like write about it and sell it for you. Because that's not a story. That's just my goal is to make money. Okay. (laughs) Mine too. Yeah. (laughs) I don't know if that helped because I still have a hard time defining it myself, but starting to think about what is the differentiator and how is this interesting to someone is a good way to start thinking about it. Yeah. So just an example, since they know me so well, when people ask me why I do this and what my goal of this is, and yeah, I want to teach people how to do X, Y, and Z, but the ultimate goal, the result of doing that is to put more money in the pockets of female entrepreneurs. I love that. That's it. That's the goal. That's so badass, Jessica. (laughs) (laughs) The way I'm doing that is through teaching them SEO and email marketing and blah, blah, blah. And this is why I now like to work with smaller businesses versus corporate, because frankly, I think that smaller businesses deserve it more. Yep. (laughs) I just do. I think that's tangible. Is that tangible, Nora? I love it. Yes. That's a great story. Meet the I'm trying to remember your exact intro for your podcast where you're like, I ran a seven figure business all by myself or as a sole employee. To meet this woman who took that experience and transformed it into doing the same for other women and putting her goals to do this for other women is the headline to a profile piece. That storytelling instead of she's like, I don't know if I can make money this way too. It's like, okay. Yeah. Because I want to like sit on the beach in Bali. Well, yeah, that'd be cool, but I have a cat, so we can't travel for long periods of time unless I'm going to take him with us. (laughs) I'm so excited that we're about to turn this into a cat podcast because this is my second favorite topic. (laughs) Yes, I have a black kitty named Gomez and he did have that name already when I got him, but it was perfect. And we have thought about for the longest time getting him a Morticia, but I just really don't want two cats. We live in a two bedroom apartment. Maybe when we move, we can get him a little baby Morticia, be his little sister, but I don't know. I have a cat who's 16, but what is relevant to this conversation is I have a dog who's very small and I dressed her up as thing and I went as Morticia. So 
we got an Adam family thing going on. See, the universe brought us together. (laughs) (laughs) All right, guys, sorry for the kitty tangent. We're getting right back to business though. And before we wrap up, I find it really important to keep it real with the audience and show them like all the crap, the behind the scenes stuff that people don't like to talk about too. So I would love if you would be so kind, Nora, to share a story about one of your biggest failures, either in your own business or that you've tried with a client. So I think one of my biggest failures is that I didn't communicate properly with the client and I didn't listen to my gut. And my gut was really clear that it was time for our relationship to come to a close. They weren't giving us good materials to work with and we weren't able to get good results for them. And this kind of turned into a mess. And one of the things that I really regret from that is that I didn't take a deposit from them in the beginning. So I was just charging monthly retainers. Like the best service providers in the business, myself, I'm sure you, Jessica, we look for certain red flags from potential clients. And I just didn't know which ones to look for at that point. And for the people who are listening, if you're hiring service providers, if you're not prepared to give a deposit, if that's what it's asked for, if you're not prepared the way that they need you to be prepared, you're not going to be able to be their client. And at that point, I was still a baby in the business and it ended up costing me a whole month's retainer because they fled after I had a good instinct that they were going to flee and they did. That was a pretty big mistake. I don't ever want to go through that again. I certainly learned from it. Yeah. And that's a really good thing. Like even from you as the person who is hiring the service provider is that is a sign of an evolved business. And it's a sign that they're going to be really committed to supporting you and giving you results. And like when they are pushing you and the expectation they have of you, that's just because they're trying to do a really good job for you. So that is actually a green flag, not a red flag. So that's such a great thing to kind of think about. Okay. On a more positive note, how about Wait, can I interrupt you? Because I also wrote down a second thing that I made a mistake. Oh, we have two failures. Bring them on. (laughs) You know, I overachieve in failure. I think the next one also is something that I think everyone can relate to, at least the people pleasers, which is I said yes when what I meant was no. A client like a thousand years ago, this is my very, very first account or second account ever. And they wanted to create a press event for just like re-merchandising really wanted it. And I said, yes. And it was a failure. It was an abject failure. No press came. No one wanted to write about it. They threw an event for no one to show up. And it was embarrassing. And I realized like they come to me for my expertise. I should have stood my ground. But 10 years later, I will never do that again. (laughs) Yes. See, yeah, that's such a good point too of respect the expertise of the people that you are hiring. And I have learned this as well. Working with PR in my previous corporate job, they know whether someone's going to care. And if they're telling you that the media is not going to care, it's because they know the media is not going to care. And it's just all this time, energy, and effort that's going to be wasted. So really do let them guide you. Like I used to always say as the employee of corporate companies, like, look, if you don't want my input, then just hire a monkey to do my job. You're hiring me because of my skill set, my strategy, my knowledge. So let me do my job. 
I needed to hear that. I still needed to hear that from you, even though you're 100% right. I needed to hear that. Thank you, Jessica. Yes, you're welcome. I think we all needed to hear that. I need to hear that. And you as the CEO, just let them be responsible for their own result. You're holding them accountable to what they say that they're going to achieve for you. So don't get in their way and don't be the reason why they don't achieve it. So that if they don't achieve it, it's all on them and they're not the right person for you. I love to give the tough love guys. And you know, it's all out of love, right? I just want to support you in being a better business owner, having a better life with your business and not feeling consumed by it and being able to make really good business decisions. And this is all because like I've been there and I've learned from my own mistakes. So I want you to take it with the love that it is coming and not like me just like getting at you. Okay. Let's talk about a success. I think I could answer that question two ways. And I think the first is I feel that I have this kind of great understanding of my job and how to do it. And that just feels very cool and very reassuring. And I know I can go into a meeting and kind of spitball off the top of my head and feel like I'm not faking it anymore. And I feel like so much of life and especially professional life is just kind of like faking it imposter syndrome. Nobody looks. I'm going to just Google that when I get off this meeting and figure out how to do it. And I feel like I finally kind of got beyond that. So to everyone, like you get there and then you'll be Googling a new thing, but don't worry about it. Like the vast majority of my career was just like, oh yeah, I can totally do that. No worries. And then taught myself in the hours afterwards. So I would say that's like an ambiguous, nebulous success. And then something very static, which took me a while to get there. And it reiterates to the broken record that we've been dealing with this whole podcast for me is I've really learned to push my clients for photography and it's become a standard for us. And it's just really improved our results and our clients' results. So that's something very concrete that I can point to that I think has been a huge, huge success. It's just kind of readdressing every single way we talk about photography and how we work with our clients to make sure that they get the photos that they need. Oh, so amazing. And I love that your initial success that you talked about in just figuring it out as you go, like that is what we're all doing. And I always remind you when you're looking at someone's business from the outside, you think they have it all figured out. They have it all together. But when you start to peel back the curtain, they're just as confused, overwhelmed, figuring it out as you are. Even the big corporate companies like they're all just figuring it out too. I promise I've been in those meetings. We're all just figuring it out and that's okay. And that's just what the journey is. 100%. It means nothing other than that you are human. Literally, that's it. <laughs> oh gosh, this has been such a wonderful conversation, Nora. I so, so appreciate you being here and just opening up our eyes to like, what it really means to do PR for product-based businesses. And I know that you have so much to offer the audience. And then we have some fun things that we're going to talk about and share as well. And guys, while you're listening to this, of course, everything is going to be linked down in the show notes. So make sure you check that out. But first, 
you have a freebie for everyone, right? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah. So, Hey friend, when Nora and I were recording this episode toward the end, we ran into some major internet issues, which made this one section completely unusable, but it's so valuable. I wanted to make sure you didn't miss it. And that is her free five day pitch the media mini course. This free and highly actionable mini course will walk you through how to put a pitch together and make sure it's going to the right publication. So you're going to learn how to find publications that are a good fit for your work, how to understand what makes your work newsworthy, how to craft a pitch for a specific editor, how to select the right images to include in your pitch, and how to put your pitch together and send it. Each day includes a specific homework assignment so you'll know you're on track the whole way. Keep listening for everything else we have coming up for you. And then you also have like a review kind of audit type situation. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. So I feel like after downloading and listening to so many episodes, so much of what you talk about is kind of like getting people through the door, like through advertising, through content marketing, through merchandising, however it is, it's like, how do we get people into our door, whether it's brick and mortar or digital door, like once they're on your website, that's where kind of the PR stuff comes in because the end user is still a consumer. If you're brought to a website through a really great ad and the website isn't going to convert properly and communicate that information properly, the media is going to have the exact same experience as the customer. So it's kind of a two birds, one stone. And so we actually do a thing where we look at all your public facing content. So usually it's a website, a social media, and we'll review one other thing. So for some folks, it's a project. For some folks, it's a product they're about to launch. For some folks, it's their newsletter. It depends. They get like one mystery grab bag item. And we will look through that whole thing and give very tailored advice about what can be improved. And some of it's very low-hanging fruit, and some of it is a little bit more in-depth, and we really believe in a broad spectrum of advice. And you get all of that in a 30-minute loom. People love it. People change their whole like visuals or their whole site structure or how they've been doing their newsletters based on this advice. And it seems to be really helpful. So it's one of our favorite things that we do. Oh, I love that. It's just so nice to have somebody else's eyeballs on your stuff sometimes because that outside person can see things so much more clearly. And because you are approaching it from the media perspective, like what are they going to be expecting to see And I love that you offer that. I love a good audit. I do that with email marketing too. Like I'll just kind of go in and dig around your stuff and catch all those little things that you can't see because you're just too close to it or you're not aware. And there's so much value that comes out of those. So super, super cool. And guys, we'll have links to all of that in the show notes. But what I really want you to get excited about is a free workshop that Nora and I are hosting on April 5th at 11 a.m. Pacific time how to pitch your products for holiday gift guides. Yep, I said it, holiday, and no, it is not too early. Typically, publications are planned many months in advance, so if holiday gift guides are on your radar this year, you'll wanna be pitching those publications by June. That's why we're holding this workshop on April 5th to give you plenty of time to learn the process, do your research, get your assets in place, and send those pitches. 
Head to ecommercebadassery.com forward slash Nora, N-O-R-A to register. This is a live workshop on Zoom. So you do need to be registered to attend. If you can't make it live, all registered attendees will receive replay access for 48 hours and lounge members, you will have access to the replay indefinitely. So again, go to ecommercebadassery.com forward slash Nora. The link will of course be in the show notes. Thank you, Nora, for coming on the show and sharing so much amazing value with the audience. I'm super excited for our workshop next month. Thank you guys for hanging out with us. I know you could be anywhere on the internet right now, and I appreciate that you're here with me and I'll see you on the flip side, friend. so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard, I'd be so grateful if you'd leave a review on Apple Podcasts and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. And if you're looking to surround yourself with more product entrepreneurs who totally get your life right now, get your booty on over to the e-commerce badassery Facebook group. Can't wait to see you there. Until next time, e-commerce friends, stay badass.